You know, if you're familiar with baseball, professional baseball, there is a lot of levels before you get on TV. You know that, correct? There is rookie ball. A guy becomes a professional baseball player. A lot of times he has to go to rookie ball, and there's a couple of levels of rookie ball. Then there's class A. Y'all familiar with this? And there may be two levels of class A. And then there's double A. And then there's triple A. And then when you're as good as Jeremy Telford, you eventually get to what? The big leagues, to the major leagues. And you play on TV and you're famous and you're a multimedia, correct? Well, this evening, we're going to talk about big league Christianity. We're in a new series called The Next Level. And we're talking about taking our spiritual life up a notch. Taking our spiritual life to the next level, and what we're going to be talking about a lot over the next few weeks is about our prayer life, and uh, two years ago, we did a series on prayer, how to pray. This is, this is a lot different from that. We're going to be looking at passages that really uh, show us some ways that the Bible lays out about how to pray for ourselves and others that really are big league uh, ways. So we're in Colossians chapter 1 this evening. We're going to look at verse 9 through 12. Now, what's funny is I always preach my sermons before I preach them to you. And it's funny, on Wednesday, I will tell Brenda, I'm going to shut my door and preach my sermon. And she says, if you're not out in 30 minutes, I'm not coming tonight. (laughs) That's a vote of confidence, isn't it? Well, I preached it this afternoon, and it was a little bit long. So what I know with Baptist is 220 minutes is better than 140 minutes. Amen? So we're going to get part of it tonight, and we're going to get part of it next week. Colossians 1, verse 9 through 12. Now, William Barclay was a great New Testament scholar. William Barclay said that this passage, these verses, may be the most in-depth, profound teachings on how to pray in the New Testament. That is interesting, isn't it? And as we look at this tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at applying this to your life personally and how you pray for yourself. But I want you, as Paul's doing, I want you to also look at it as how you pray for other people because this is certainly intercessory prayer, praying for other people. But it's praying for our city, it's praying for our world, and it's praying for our church too. Colossians chapter 1, and it begins with this. This may sound simple, but I want to tell you, very few people do this or or hold to this. Prayer is a lifetime commitment. Prayer is a lifetime commitment. Prayer is something that we have to be committed to doing uh, as long as we are here on this earth. Now, here's what I've heard as a pastor many times, and most of the times when I hear it, it's coming from someone who's sad, and it's certainly sad for me to hear this. People will say, you know what, preacher, I prayed about that. Sometimes, I mean, I've actually heard people say, I prayed for two days, and God's just, I guess God's not going to do anything about the situation. I understand that because it, many of us have prayed for a situation or a person for years and decades without seeing anything happen. But, folks, prayer's not something you do a little bit, and then you quit. Look in verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. God's writing this through the Apostle Paul to the church and the Christians in the little city of Colossae. Now I want to show you on a map just to give you a little bit of a 
context. This is Asia Minor, and you, you're familiar with Laodicea. You remember that in Revelation 3? They are the lukewarm people. Well, Colossus right here. It's not a big place. It's probably uh, 15 or so miles from Laodicea. Small town. This was probably written about A.D. 60, 61, 62, 25 or so plus years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul is in the Holiday Inn Express writing this because if you stay at the Holiday Inn Express, you can do anything, right? No, he is actually under house arrest in Rome. So he is, he's in prison. He's not in the best of situations. I'm guessing when you're under house arrest, maybe chained to a soldier, your spiritual life gets better. Wouldn't you think so? It gets terribly worse or it gets a whole lot better. And it's neat. Now, folks, here's really something to get a hold of. Paul never met this, these people at this point. See, a lot of times, I don't know how to pray for them. I don't know how to pray for that missionary I've never met. I don't know how to pray for that family member. I, okay, that's what we're going to talk about the next two weeks in this passage. Is, is Paul never met these people, but yet because of his relationship with God and his spiritual depth, he knew exactly what they needed, pray, how to pray for them, and how we should pray for them too. Colossum is being hit, the church and the Christians, by a group of false teachers called Gnostics. How many of you have heard of Gnostics through the years? Preachers like that word because it sounds big. We talk about Gnosticism tonight. Gnosticism is a play off the Greek word Gnosis, which, which meant knowledge. And the Gnostics came in. There's a lot of different variations of Gnosticism, but they, they taught about you needed a deep spiritual secret knowledge that only the few, the proud, and the Marines could get. Andy was a Marine, so that'd be good, right? Harold Berry was a Marine. There may be more Marines here. But the Gnostics also didn't believe all the truths about Jesus Christ being the Son of God and God in the flesh and those things. So these people, man, they were struggling. They needed encouragement. They needed help. False teachers were beating them up. And they, they needed prayer. And one of the things that Paul tells them right off the bat, guys, when, we, when, when I heard about you, when I heard about your church, I have not stopped praying for you. How encouraging would that be to you to get a note from somebody tomorrow and saying, since I've, I've learned about you in your life, I've not stopped praying for you. Wouldn't that be tremendous? Folks, I want to encourage you, if you are going to take your spiritual life beyond the preschool, and preschool's great if that's where you're supposed to be, right? You're, you're six, five or six and under. If you're going to go the next level, it, it, your prayer life and your commitment to praying is absolutely essential. I want to challenge you tonight to be a person of prayer about you. Nobody can pray for you better than you. You, you need to pray for you, and you don't need to quit praying for you. You need to pray for your husband and your wife and your kids. But complaining about them is okay from time to time, right? But praying for them is always great every time. Now, is there ever a time you quit praying about something? Yes. Someone dies, you let it go. That's what biblically we believe, that you're not going to pray them out of heaven or hell at that point. They're, they're gone. You may be praying about a situation in your life or someone else, and God may whisper, if you'll listen in your ear, that's not my will. You know what you need to do? You need to be very clear that you hear God on that, but... but I'm not going to keep praying if God said absolutely no. And sometimes I, I, I tell single people, and I didn't get married until I was 35, quit praying to marry that person when they've already said no 18 times and married someone else. Amen? Let it go. Go, go to door number eight or whatever. 
There is a time when you stop praying, but most of the time we quit praying not because God's told us not to or that his answer is no. We just quit praying because we get tired and we get weary and we don't see any results and the devil's whispered in your ear, this doesn't matter. But that's the devil whispering in your ear. Luke 18, 1, listen to what Jesus said. One day Jesus told his disciples the story to show them that they should pray some and give up when they get tired of it. (laughs) Y'all awake? It doesn't say that, does it? They should always pray and what? Never give up. Write this down if you're taking notes. Galatians 6, 9. It's such a great verse. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Man, I want to challenge you tonight. Next level Christianity is full of people who are committed to praying, and they're going to pray and pray and pray till God takes them home. You know what we need as a church? We need you to pray for our church. We need you to beg God for our church. Yes, you can come to Clayton anytime when there's a problem and tell him. Just leave me alone. No, I'm teasing. I promise you, I'm teasing. But pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray for our world. Pray for that family member, friend, and pray for yourself. Keep praying. Now, now here's, here's what we need to answer next is how do we pray effectively for other people? This was in the 1990s. President Clinton was in office. And on some talk show, they were interviewing a leader in a, uh, of one of our denominations here in America. And when I say a leader, he was an 85 to 86-year-old man He was an elder, not in a local church, but an elder in this group, in this denomination. So he had clout. I mean, he he had money or he knew somebody or something. Because they asked him, "How, how do you and how should we pray for President Clinton? And you know what this bozo, I'm sorry, you know what this bozo said? I have no idea. And I'm 25. And I'm a greenhorn, and I like to drop my false teeth, and I don't have false teeth. And I'm saying, you don't know how to pray for this person. Somebody you don't know, let me give you some thought we're going to look at. But, hey, one, you, if they're not a Christian or you're not sure, you pray they get saved. You pray they come to God and they live for God. You pray God protects them. There's a thousand things if you just use your head. How could a church elder not know that? But let's look at some things that Paul teaches us here this evening. God through Paul. And remember, he had never met them before. He wasn't friends with them on Facebook. They they weren't texting each other. So these are things that can apply to your best friend and to your church and to yourself and to people that you've never met before. Here's the first thing. You You pray that you and others will know God's will. Now, again, that may sound real simple, but what we're fixing to unpack, I promise you, is 10 miles deep and 50 miles wide. It is, it is absolutely profound stuff. Look in verse 9. We've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Jamie, if you would, let's leave that scripture 
up there for just a moment because the words here are so significant. We ask God to give you complete knowledge. The word complete means to be filled with something. It's the picture of something being overflowing. I I have a habit. I don't know why I do it, but when I make my coffee in the mornings, I overflow the cup almost every time, and I'm walking down the hall, and if you're in the office and you see brown spots, that's my coffee. I don't know why I do it, but I, I want it full. It's like I grew up with three siblings. There was four kids, and you had to do your best to get whatever you could. So I guess I, I filled it up. How many, if you were going to get like M&Ms or something, don't you like to fill the cup up, overflowing? You know, a couple of M&Ms fall on the floor, and the dog gets them. That's okay. But you, ice cream, that bowl needs to be filled up, right? God's saying, I want you filled up with this. I want you filled up. What does he want us filled up with? Not M&Ms or not ice cream. I want you Crammed to the top with knowledge. Now remember, remember here, the problem was they were seeking a false knowledge. They were seeking to be spiritually elite because they could beat you in an argument. They were seeking a secret knowledge that didn't exist. Here's what the word knowledge means. God said, I want you to be crammed full with knowledge. And the word knowledge here means a clear and exact knowledge on how to live effectively. Is that not profound? I want you packed to your gills with a knowledge of how to live life effectively. He uses the word will with the knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of his will. Now, if you're taking notes, man, write this down. The will is God's divine purpose. It's what should be done. What does First Baptist need to do? Not your will, not my will, but God's will. What needs to happen in your life? God's will. God's divine purpose. And listen, that word will not only means divine purpose, it means what creates joy. I I said this at Christmas because we looked at the same word. See, many of us, we are afraid of God's will. That means i got to break up with somebody that I shouldn't be dating. Or I've got to stay with somebody that I'm married to that I don't want to be married to. Or that i got to switch jobs or i got to move. And oh, if I do God's will, it's going to be so painful. God's will may be hard on the front end, but God's will is where joy in life is found. You with me? So I'm praying for you, you're praying for me, we're praying for our church and other people that they will be crammed full of, 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 of knowledge of God's will, God's divine direction for their life. And then he uses the word understanding. Excuse me, he uses the word spiritual. And spiritual means obviously not of the world, but of God. And I want you to have wisdom. Again, that's skillfully how to do life with God and man. And then he uses the word understanding, how to evaluate life properly. Man, do you get the depth here? God's saying what you and I need, we need to be packed to the gills, full with wisdom and understanding from God on his plan and his purpose for our lives, our marriage, our church. Listen, you're praying for your friends and family If they're not saved, they need to be saved. And if they're saved, you're praying they walk with Christ and that they will be filled to the gills with knowing what God would have them to do. They'll be filled with the Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll be taking it in and they'll be ready to do life God's way. One scholar uses the picture of a car ready and a family ready to go on vacation. 
The car's been serviced. The tires are ready. The oil's ready. The gas tank is full. Mama's got the car packed. The kids are all tied in. And you are absolutely ready to go on the journey. Folks, you're not ready to go on the journey if you don't know where God wants you to go. And many of us are just floundering around. A lot of churches, 80% of churches in America are plateaued or declining. They're, They're going backwards. What does our church need to know? What do you need to know? What your family need to know? What do your friends need to know? Man, start praying that God will pack you and others full of his will. His purpose. And then he'll give you the wisdom and understanding to know what it is. Now here's the next part of this. Pray for you and others to do God's will. See, here's where the Gnostics messed up. They wanted to talk about God. They wanted to talk about philosophy. (laughs) They wanted to have opinions about things. And and that's not the purpose of of knowledge with God. Warren Wiersbe was a preacher in Chicago, and I believe he's still alive and a writer. Warren Wiersbe said the problem with a lot of Christians is we're, we're more interested in theory and philosophy than we are in shoe leather. We would rather talk about God in the Bible and even argue God in the Bible than we would to do that. I, I think in, in my years as a pastor, I think that's, this has gotten worse. And I think for a couple of reasons. The Internet is a great thing. It can be a burdensome thing. Knowledge is a plenty out there. We have more Bible studies and things than we ever have. A lot of that's good, but what's happened with a lot of Christians, we've got caught in chasing knowledge and not letting knowledge push us to obey God. You know, we talked about this word being filled, being filled with M&M's and ice cream. You remember me using that? In the Bible, a lot of times when the word being filled is used, it's also synonymous with being controlled. In Ephesians, it tells us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. A person who is drunk is controlled by alcohol, correct? And that's the, right? None of you have ever been drunk, but you've seen it on TV, right? Y'all wait. And a drunk person is someone who's been controlled by alcohol. They've got alcohol in them, and it's controlling them. And, and he says in that passage, hey, don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. And filled is synonymous with being controlled by the Spirit. See, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will means that we are controlled by it. We will be directed by it. Look in verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. He said in verse 9, pray that you, pray that others, pray that your church will be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that the way you live will be tremendously impacted. The word live there in your Bibles can mean the way you walk, the way of your life. When I was a young pastor one evening, I was preaching in my first church, and man, I thought I was doing a great job, and I was talking about walking with God, walk with God, walk with God, walk with God. And after church, this beautiful, wonderful sermon I'd done, this little girl walks up to me and tugs me, and she says, Chris, what does walk with God mean? (laughs) Humbling, yes. It means to live. And, And he says in verse 10, the way you live will always honor God. Folks, I didn't, I didn't create this, but this is a great, this is a quote worth writing down to. God's, God's never passing on things to you simply for information. He's passing it for transformation. God wants you to be different with the knowledge you get. 
God wants your marriage to be different. God wants our church to be different. You're praying for other people. Listen, most of your friends don't need a Ph.D. in New Testament. They need to follow God with their lives. They need to follow God with their lives is what he is saying here. And this is absolutely, absolutely true. Now, he gives us three things that follow that we're going to look at quickly. I think this is, this is how you should look at these three things. One, these are things that we should pray for, for ourselves and others, for our church. But also, these are fruit, are evidence that a person's knowing God's will and following God's will. He lists three things. Again, let me repeat that. I believe they're fruit of knowing and doing God's will, but I also believe these are things that we should pray for and desire in our lives and the lives of other people. Here's the first one, a life that honors God, a life that honors God. Look what he says in verse 10. You know God's will, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. The word honor means to be worthy and bring glory to God. Folks, your life and my life needs to bring honor to God. It needs to bring glory to God. Our church needs to bring glory to God. And he lays it out pretty simple. He goes, listen, when when, when you are knowing God's will and you're doing God's will properly and truly, you live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So you pray for people. You pray for people again to know and to do God's will, so it will bring honor to him. But, but as you pray for yourselves, as you pray for other people, pray that they will live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. You parents, if your kids grow up, give their life to Jesus Christ, and they live in a way that honors and glorifies God, I promise you, when they get to heaven, God is going to be extremely pleased with them. What a great prayer. Here's the second fruit, or the second thing we should pray for. And that's a life that bears good fruit. A life that bears good fruit. In verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit. Bearing fruit there, by the way, is in a tense of the the biblical language. It means this is continual or that it's ongoing. And and what he's saying here, again, is you you know God's will, you do God's will. One of the results is that is that your life bears good fruit. One of the things, too, you should pray for yourself and others, that you'll bear good fruit. The word good in your Bible, it means benevolent. It means profitable. In other words, fruit is evidence of something. And that when you are knowing God's will and you're doing God's will, you pray for this for yourself, you live a life that bears good fruit, that makes a difference, that matters. In Galatians 5, and 23, it lists nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruit. Fruit, fruit are winning people to Christ. Fruit's making your Sunday school class better, your church better, your choir better, your youth group better. Hey, you know what? A lot of Christians and a lot of churches are celebrating the past dead fruit. Look what we did. We have a trophy case full of old withered up fruit of what we did. I used to serve God. I used to win people to Jesus. I used to sing in the choir. I used to teach. God's not interested and you can't live off withered dead fruit. Amen? God says when we know his will, when we're doing his will as a church, as a people, 
we will continually be bearing good fruit. One of the things God wants from you and me is that we continually make a difference in the lives of other people and for his name. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for people you love and pray that for our church. And here's the last thing he says that comes with this, a life that's growing in closeness to God. Now, I love this. Look at the end of verse 10. And all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. The word grow there means to increase or to enlarge something. May I have your attention just for a second? Then you can go back to whatever you're doing. I love it when a preacher says, now I'm telling you the truth now, so I've been lying to you for 20 minutes, so I'm going to tell you the truth. How many of you really have a desire to know God deeper? Man, I want to tell you, that's the desire of my heart. Here's the coolest thing ever. Most of us in this room right now, we're not going to get any taller. We're not going to get a lot stronger. We may get heavier. (laughs) Some of us aren't going to get any more hair unless it's a toupee or we can go to hair club for men or whatever which I'm all for that. I'd get a toupee if my wife would let me. She won't. We're tapped out, right? I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be stronger than I was in college, I don't think. I don't think I was going to rebound at 54. <laughs> but you know what? Man, I can keep getting closer and closer to Jesus. Oh, I can learn more, and that's good. But do you have a desire to know Jesus Christ deeper and more and more? I hope so. If you don't, either you're not a Christian or you're you're away from God. Because, see, one of the desires of the heart of a Christian is to get to know God deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's something we never can max out. God, God, God is untappable that way. You never can say, well, I've got it all, whether it's information but much less relationship. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and maybe if if he wants to, he'll draw to you. No, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Isn't that wonderful? So I'm telling you this evening, when a person is filled with the knowledge of God and his will, and they live that out, one of the fruits is they're growing constantly in their intimacy with the Lord God Almighty. Folks, pray that for those you love. Pray that they'll grow in that intimacy with God. You want people to be different. They get closer to God, they'll get different. He burns the bad off and makes the good better. (laughs) And that's one of the things that happens as we know God and His will. But it's also one of the things that we should pray for. I want to ask you this evening... Don't raise your hand or speak out loud, but would you consider yourself a big leaguer spiritually? You're in rookie ball, you class A, you are you a big leaguer? Here's the coolest thing ever. You can be a big leaguer. You can be a major leaguer with God. Choice is yours. And I'm telling you, if you will commit yourself to a life of prayer for yourself and others, if you will, for yourself and for others, pursue 
knowing God's will and living out God's will and live a life that honors and pleases God, lives a life that bears good fruit, and, and, and you're getting closer and closer to Jesus all your life, I want to tell you, you're a spiritual winner and a major leaguer. And you know what? It's absolutely possible for everyone in here. Isn't that great? So I just want to ask you, what will you do with it? We're going to have an invitation in just a second. You're not a Christian or you're unsure. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to come tonight for the first time and give your life to Christ. Please do that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. And you can do that after church or, or you can come when we stand right now. Hey, you need to be in a church to go to the next level. And we need you to help us go to the next level. Come and join us tonight. Christian, where are you? And let me say, wherever you are right now, it's up to you where you go next. Man, make a choice tonight that you're going to go farther with God and keep moving on to the next level. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar or pray with a minister or make that commitment where you are. But let's stand as God leads you.